Book One, Chapter Fifteen of Arachne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Arachne by George Ebers. Book One, Chapter Fifteen. When the sun was approaching the western horizon, the traveler started. Light mist veiled the radiant right eye of the goddess of heaven. The blood of the contending spirits of light and darkness, which usually dyed the west of Egypt crimson at the departure of the great sun god, today vanished from sight. The sultry air was damp and oppressive, and experienced old Philippus, who had commanded a fleet of considerable size under the first Ptolemies, agreed with the captain of the vessel, who pointed to several small dark clouds under the silvery stratus, and expressed the fear that Selina would hardly illumine the ship's course during the coming night. But before the departure, the travelers had offered sacrifices to the foam-born Cyprian Aphrodite and Dioscuri, the protectors of mariners, and the conversation took the gayest turn. In the harbor of the neighboring seaport, Tanis, they went aboard the commandant's state galley, one of the largest and finest in the royal fleet, where a banquet awaited them. Cushions were arranged on the high poop, and the sea was as smooth as the silver dishes in which viands were offered to the guests. True, not a breath stirred the still, sultry air, but the three long double ranks of rowers in the hold of the ship provided for her swift progress, and if no contrary winds sprang up, she would run into the harbor of Pelusium before the last goblet was emptied. Soon after the departure, it seemed as if the captain of the little vessel had erred in his prediction. For the moon burst victoriously through the black clouds, only its shining orb was surrounded by a dull shimmering halo. Doubtless many a guest longed for a cool breeze, but when the mixed wine had moistened the parched tongues, the talk gained fresh animation. Everyone did his or her part, for the point in question was to induce Philippa and his wife to visit Alexandria again, and spend some time there as beloved guests with Daphne, in her father's house, or in the palace of Philotus, who jestingly, yet with many reasons, contested the honor with the absent Archias. The old warrior had remained away from the capital for several years. He alone knew why. Now the act which had incest him and the offense inflicted upon him were forgotten, and, having passed seventy-four years, he intended to ask the commander-in-chief once more for the retirement from the army which the monarch had several times refused, in order, as a free man, to seek again the city which in his present position he had so long avoided. Thione, it is true, thought that her husband's youthful vigor rendered this step premature, but the visit to Alexandria harmonized with her own wishes. Proclus eagerly sided with her. To him, said the man of manifold knowledge, who as high priest of Apollo was fond of speaking in an instructive tone, experience showed that men like Philippus, who solely on account of the number of their years, withdrew their services from the state, felt unhappy, and, like the unused plowshare, became prematurely rusty. What they lacked, and what Philippus would also miss, was not merely the occupation, which might easily be supplied by another, but still more the habit of command. 
one who had had thousands subject to his will, was readily overcome by the feeling that he was going downhill, when only a few dozen of his own slaves and his wife obeyed him. This word aroused the mirth of old Philippus, who praised all the good qualities of Macedonian wives, except that of obedience, while Thione protested that during her more than forty years of married life, her husband had become so accustomed to her complete submission that he no longer noticed it. If Philippus should command her tomorrow to leave their comfortable palace in Pelusium, to accompany him to Alexandria, where they possessed no home of their own, he would see how willingly she obeyed him. While speaking, her bright clear eyes, which seemed to float in the deep folds sunk by age, sparkled so merrily in her wrinkled face, that Philippus shook his finger gaily at her, and showed plainly how much pleasure the jest of the old companion of his wanderings gave him. Yet he insisted upon his purpose of not entering Alexandria again until he had resigned his office, and to do this at present was impossible, since he was bound just now, as if with chains, to the important frontier fortress. Besides, there had probably been little change in the capital since the death of his beloved old companion in arms and master, the late king. This assertion evoked a storm of contradiction, and even the young officers, who usually imposed severe restraint upon themselves in the general's presence, raised their voices to prove that they, too, had looked around the flourishing capital with open eyes. Yet it was not six decades since Philippus, then a lad of seventeen, had been present at its foundation. His father, who commanded as Hipparch, a division of cavalry in the army of Alexander the Great, had sent for the sturdy youth just at that time to come to Egypt, that he might enter the army. The conqueror of the world had himself assigned him, as a young Macedonian of good family, to the corps of the Heteroi, and how the vigorous old man's eyes sparkled as, with youthful enthusiasm, he spoke of the divine vanquisher of the world, who had at that time condescended to address him, gazed at him keenly yet encouragingly, with his all-discerning but kindly blue eyes, and extended his hand to him. That, he cried, made this rough right hand precious to me, often when, in Asia, in scorching India, and later here also, wounded or exhausted, it was ready to refuse its service, a spirit voice within cried, Don't forget that he touched it. And then, as if I had drunk the noble wine of Byblus, a fiery stream flowed from my heart into the paralyzed hand, and, as though animated with new life, I used it again and kept it worthy of his touch. To have seen a darling of the gods like him, young men, makes us greater. It teaches us how even we human beings are permitted to resemble the immortals. Now he is transported among the gods, and the Olympians received him, if any one, gladly. Whoever shared the deeds of such a hero takes a small portion of his renown with him through life and into the grave, and whom he touched, as befell me, feels himself consecrated, and whatever is petty and base flows away from him like water from the anointed body of the wrestler. Therefore I consider myself fortunate above thousands of others, and if there is anything which still tempts me to go to Alexandria, it is the desire to touch his dead body once more. To do that before I die is my most ardent desire. Then gratify it, cried Thione with urgent impatience, but Proclus turned to the matron, 
and after exchanging a hasty glance with Althea, said, You probably know, my venerable friend, that Queen Arsinoe, who most deeply honors your illustrious husband, had already arranged to have him summoned to the capital as priest of Alexander. True, in this position he would have had the burden of disposing of all the revenues from the temple throughout Egypt, but on the other hand, he would always have his master's mortal remains near, and be permitted to be their guardian. What influences baffled the queen's wish certainly have not remained hidden from you here. You are mistaken, replied Philippus gravely. Not the least whisper of this matter reached my ears, and it is fortunate. Impossible, Althea eagerly interrupted. Nothing else was talked of for weeks in the royal palace. Queen Arsinoe, you might be jealous, Lady Thyone, has been fairly in love with your hero ever since her last day in your house, on her way home from Thrace, and she has not yet given up her desire to see him in the capital as priest of Alexander. It seems to her just and fair that the old companion of the greatest of the great should have the highest place, next to her husband's, in the city whose foundation he witnessed. Arsinoe speaks of you also with all the affection natural to her feeling heart. This is as flattering as it is surprising, replied Thyone. The attention we showed her in Pelusium was nothing more than we owed to the wife of the sovereign. But the court is not the principal attraction that draws me to the capital. It would make Philippus happy, you have just heard him say so, to remember his old master beside the tomb of Alexander. And, added Daphne, how amazed you will be when you see the present form of the Soma, in which rests the golden coffin with the body of the divine hero, whom the fortunate Philippus aided to conquer the world. You are jesting, interrupted the old warrior. I aided him only as the drops in the stream helped to turn the wheel of the mill. As to his body, true, I marched at the head of the procession, which bore it to Memphis and thence to Alexandria. In the Soma I was permitted to think of him with devout reverence, and meantime I felt as if I had again seen him with these eyes, exactly as he looked in the Egyptian fishing village of Rakotis, which he transformed into your magnificent Alexandria. What a youth he was! Even what would have been a defect in others became a beauty in him. The powerful neck, which supported his divine head, was a little crooked, but what grace it lent him when he turned kindly to any one. One scarcely noticed it, and yet it was like the bend of a petitioner, and gave the wish which he expressed, resistless power. When he stood erect, the sharpest eye could not detect it. Would that he could appear before me thus once more. Besides, the buildings which surrounded the golden coffin were nearly completed at the time of our departure. But the statues, reliefs, and mosaic work were lacking, said Hermon. They were executed by Lysippus, Euphraner, and others of our greatest artists. The paintings by Apelles himself, Antiphilus, and Nicias. Only those who had won renown were permitted to take part in this work, and the Ares rushing to battle, created by our Myrtilus, can be seen among the others. The tomb of Alexander was not entirely complete until three years ago. At the same time as the Panaeum, as Philotus, completing the sentence, and Althea, waving her beaker toward the old hero, remarked, When you have your quarters in the royal palace with your crowned admirer, Arsinoe, which I hope will be soon, I will be your guide. 
that office is already bestowed on me by the lady thyone daphne quietly replied and you think that in this case obedience is the husband's duty cried the other with a sneering laugh it would only be the confirmation of a wise choice replied philippus who disliked the thracian's fawning manner thyone too did not favor her and had glanced indignantly at her when althea made her rude remark now she turned to daphne and her plain face regained its pleasant expression as she exclaimed we really promised your father to let him show us the way child but unfortunately we are not yet in alexandria and the paneum but you would set out to-morrow hermon protested if we could succeed in fittingly describing what now awaits you there there is only one alexandria and no city in the world can offer a more beautiful scene than is visible from the mountain in the paneum gardens certainly not protested the young hipparch who had studied in athens i stood on the acropolis i was permitted to visit rhodes and miletus and you saw nothing more beautiful there cried proclus the aristocratic roman envoys who left us a short time ago admitted the same thing they are just men for the view from the capital of their growing city is also to be seen when the king's command led me to the tiber many things surprised me but as a whole how shall i compare the two cities the older rome with her admirable military power a barbarian who is just beginning to cultivate more refined manners alexandria a rich aristocratic helene who like you my young friend completed her education in elysis and unites to the elegant taste and intellect of the athenian the mysterious thoughtfulness of the egyptian the tireless industry of the jew and the many-sided wisdom and brilliant magnificence of the other oriental countries but who disdains to dazzle the eyes with asiatic splendor interrupted philotas and yet what do we not hear about the unprecedented luxury in the royal palace growled the gray-haired warrior parsimony the gods be praised no one need expect from our royal pair althea broke in but king ptolemy uses his paternal wealth for very different purposes than glittering gems and golden chambers if you disdain my guidance honored hero at least accept that of some genuine alexandrian then you will understand proclus's apt simile you ought to begin with the royal palaces in the brocaeum no no with the harbor of eunostus interrupted the grammateus with the soma cried the young hipparch while daphne wished to have the tour begin in the paneum gardens they were already laid out when we left alexandria said thyone and they had grown marvelously as if creative nature had doubled her powers in their behalf hermon added eagerly but man has also wrought amazing miracles here industrious hands reared an actual mountain a winding path leads to the top and when you stand upon the summit and look northward you at first feel like the sailor who steps on shore and hears the people speak a language which is new to him it seems like a jumble of meaningless sounds until he learns not only to understand the words but also to distinguish the sentences temples and palaces statues and columns appear everywhere in motley confusion each one if you separate it from the whole and give it careful examination is worthy of inspection nay of admiration here are light graceful creations of hellenic yonder heavy sombre ones of egyptian art and in the background the exquisite azure of the eternal sea which the marvellous structure of the heptastadium unites to the land 
while on the island of pharos the lighthouse of sostratus towers aloft almost to the sky and with a flood of light points out the way to mariners who approach the great harbor at night countless vessels are also at anchor in the eunostus the riches of the whole earth flow into both havens and the life and movement there and in the inland harbor on lake mariotis while the nile boats land from early until late what a busy throng what an abundance of wares and how many of the most valuable goods are made in our own city for whatever useful fine and costly articles industrial art produces are manufactured here the roof has not yet been put on many a factory in which busy workers are already making beautiful things here the weaver's shuttle flies yonder gold is spun around slender threads of sheep guts elsewhere costly materials are embroidered by women's nimble fingers with the prepared gold thread there glasses blown or weapons and iron utensils are forged finely polished knives split the pith of the papyrus and long rows of workmen and workwomen gum the strips together no hand no head is permitted to rest in the museum the brains of the great thinkers and investigators are toiling here too reality asserts its rights the time for chimeras and wretched polemics is over now it is observing fathoming turning to account nothing more gently my young friend proclus interrupted the artist i know that you too sat at the feet of some of the philosophers in the museum and still uphold the teachings of straton which your fellow pupil king ptolemy outgrew long ago yet he also recognized in philosophy first of all the bond which unites the widely sundered acquisitions of the intellect the vital breath which pervades them the touchstone which proves each true or false if the praise of alexandria is to be sung we must not forget the library to which the most precious treasures of knowledge of east and west are flowing and which feeds those who thirst for knowledge with the intellectual gains of former ages and other nations honor too to our king and that i may be just to his illustrious wife for wherever in the grecian world a friend of the muses appears whether he is investigator poet architect sculptor artist actor or singer he is drawn to alexandria and that he might not be idle work is provided palaces spring from the earth quickly enough yet not like mushrooms hermon interrupted but as the noblest most carefully executed creations of art structure and painting provided for their decoration both without and within and proclus went on abodes are erected for the gods as well as for men both egyptian and hellenic divinities each in their own style and so beautiful that it must be a pleasure for them to dwell under the new roof go to the gardens of the paneum friends cried young philotus and hermon nodding to thyone added gaily then you must climb the mountain and keep your eyes open while you are ascending the winding path you will find enough to do to look at all the new sights you will stand there with dry feet but your soul will bathe in eternal imperishable divine beauty the foe of beauty exclaimed proclus pointing to the sculptor with a scornful glance but daphne full of joyous emotion whispered to hermon as he approached eternal divine beauty to hear it thus praised by you makes me happy yes cried the artist 
what else should i call what has often filled me with the deepest rapture the greek language has no more fitting expression for the grand and lofty things that hovered before me and which i called by that chameleon of a word yet i have a different meaning for what appears before you at its sound were i to call it truth you would scarcely understand me but when i conjure before my soul the image of alexandria with all that springs from it all that is moving creating and thriving with such marvellous freedom naturalness and variety within it is not alone the beauty that pleases the eye that delights me i value more the sound natural growth the genuine abundant life to truth daphne as i mean it he raised his goblet as he spoke and drank to her she willingly pledged him but after removing her lips from the cup she eagerly exclaimed show it to us with the mind which animates it in perfect form and i should not know wherein it was to be distinguished from the beauty which hitherto has been our highest goal here the helmsman loud shout the light of pelusium interrupted the conversation the bright glare from the lighthouse of this city was really piercing the misty night which for some time had again concealed the moon there was no further connected conversation for the sea was now rising and falling in broad leaden almost imperceptible waves the comfort of most of philippus's guests was destroyed and the ladies uttered a sigh of relief when they had descended from the lofty galley and the boats that conveyed them ashore and their feet once more pressed the solid land the party of travellers went to the commandant's magnificent palace to rest and hermon also retired to his room but sleep fled from his couch no one on earth was nearer to his heart and mind than daphne and it often seemed as if her kind loyal yet firm look was resting upon him but the memory of ledska also constantly forced itself upon his mind and stirred his blood when he thought of the menacing fire of her dark eyes she seemed to him as terrible as one of the unlovely creatures born of night the erinnes apate and eris then he could not help recalling their meeting in the grove of astarte her self-forgetting passionate tenderness and the wonderfully delicate beauty of her foreign type true she had never laughed in his presence but what a peculiar charm there was in her smile had he really lost her entirely and forever would it not yet be possible to obtain her forgiveness and persuade her to pose as the model of his arachne during the voyage to pelusium he had caught althea's eye again and again and rejected as an insult her demand to give her his whole love the success of the arachne depended on ledska and on her alone he had nothing good to expect from the demeter and during the nocturnal meditation which shows everything in the darkest colors his best plan seemed to be to destroy the unsuccessful statue and not exhibit it for the verdict of the judges but if he went to work again in tennis to model the arachne did not love for daphne forbid him to sue afresh for ledska's favor what a terrible conflict of feelings but perhaps all this might gain a more satisfactory aspect by daylight now he felt as though he had entangled himself in a snare besides other thoughts drove sleep from his couch the window spaces were closed by wooden shutters and whenever they moved with a low creaking or loud banging hermon started and forgot everything else in anxiety about his invalid friend whose suffering every strong wind brought on again and often seriously increased three times he sprang up from the soft wool covered with linen sheets 
and looked out to convince himself that no storm had risen. But, though masses of black clouds concealed the moon and stars, the sea beat heavily against the solid walls of the harbor, as yet only a sultry breeze of no great strength blew on his head as he thrust it into the night air. This weather could scarcely be dangerous to Myrtilus, yet when the morning relieved him from the torturing anxiety which he had found under his host's roof, instead of rest and sleep, gray and black clouds were sweeping as swiftly over the port and the ramparts, beside him, as if they were already driven by a tempest, and warm raindrops besprinkled his face. He went, full of anxiety, to take his bath, and while committing the care of the adornment of his outer man to one of the household slaves, he determined that unless, as often happened in this country, the sun gained the victory over the clouds, he would return to Tennis and join Myrtilus. In the hall of the men he met the rest of the old hero's guests. They received him pleasantly enough. Althea alone barely noticed his greeting. She seemed to suspect in what way he thought of her. Thyone and Daphne extended their hands to him all the more cordially. Philippus did not appear until after breakfast. He had been detained by important dispatches from Alexandria, and by questions and communications from Proclus. The latter desired to ascertain whether the influential warrior, who commanded the most important fortress in the country, could be persuaded to join a conspiracy formed by Arsinoe against her royal husband. But he seemed to have left Philippus with very faint hopes. Subordinate officers and messengers also frequently claimed the commandant's attention. When the marketplace was filling, however, the sturdy old soldier kindly fulfilled his duties as host by offering to show his guests the sights of the fortified seaport. Herman also accompanied him at Daphne's side, but he made it easy for Philotus to engross her attention. For, though the immense thickness of the walls and the arrangement of the wooden towers which, crowned with battlements, rose at long intervals, seemed to him also well worth seeing, he gave them only partial attention. While Philippus was showing the guests how safely the archers and slingers could be concealed behind the walls and battlements and discharge their missiles, and explaining the purpose of the great catapults on the outermost dike washed by the sea. The artist was listening to the ever-increasing roar of the waves, which poured into the harbor from the open sea, to their loud dashing against the strong mole, to the shrill scream of the seagulls, the flapping of the sails, which were being taken in everywhere, in short, to all the sounds occasioned by the rising violence of the wind. There were not a few warships in the port, and among them perfect giants of amazing size and unusual construction, but Herman had already seen many similar ones. When, shortly after noon, the sun for a few brief moments pierced with scorching rays, the dark curtain that shrouded it from sight, and then suddenly dense masses of clouds, driven from the sea by the tempest, covered the day star. His eyes and ears were engrossed entirely by the uproar of the elements. The air darkened as if night was falling at this noontide hour, and with savage fury the foaming mountain waves rushed like mad wild beasts in fierce assault upon the mole, the walls, and the dikes of the fortified port. Home! cried Thyone, and again entered the litter which she had left to inspect the new catapults. Althea, trembling, drew her peplos together as the storm swept her light figure before it and, shrieking, struggled against the black slaves who tried to lift her upon the war elephant which had borne her here. Philotus gave his arm to Daphne. 
Herman had ceased to notice her. He had just gone to his gray-haired host, with the entreaty that he would give him a ship for the voyage to Tennis, where Myrtilus would need his assistance. It is impossible in such weather, was the reply. Then I will ride, cried Herman resolutely, and Philippus scanned the son of his old friend and companion in arms, with an expression of quiet satisfaction in his eyes, still sparkling brightly, and answered quickly, you shall have two horses, my boy, and a guide who knows the road besides. Then, turning swiftly to one of the officers who accompanied him, he ordered him to provide what was necessary. When, soon after, in the impluvium, the tempest tore the velarium that covered the open space from its rings, and the ladies endeavored to detain Herman, Philippus silenced them with the remark, A disagreeable ride is before him, but what urges him on is pleasing to the gods. I have just ventured to send out a carrier dove, he added, turning to the artist, to inform Myrtilus that he may expect you before sunset. The storm comes from the east, otherwise it would hardly reach the goal. Put even if it should be lost, what does it matter? Thyone nodded to her old husband with a look of pleasure, and her eyes shone through tears at Herman as she clasped his hand and, remembering her friend, his mother, exclaimed, Go then, you true son of your father, and tell your friend that we will offer sacrifices for his welfare. A lean chicken to Asculapius, whispered the Grammateus to Althea. She holds on to the Oboli, which at any rate would be hard enough to dispose of in this wretched place, unless one were a dealer in weapons or a thirsty sailor, sighed the Thracian. As soon as the sky and sea are blue again, chains could not keep me here, and the cooing around this insipid rich beauty into the bargain. This remark referred to Philotus, who was just offering Daphne a magnificent bunch of roses, which a mounted messenger had brought to him from Alexandria. The girl received it with a grateful glance, but she instantly separated one of the most beautiful blossoms from its companions, and handed it to Herman, saying, for our suffering friend, with my affectionate remembrances. The artist pressed her dear hand with a tender look of love, intended to express how difficult it was for him to leave her, and when, just at that moment, a slave announced that the horses were waiting, Thyone whispered, Have no anxiety, my son. Your ride away from her through the tempest will bring you a better reward than his slave's swift horse will bear the giver of the roses. End of Book 1, Chapter 15